This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay! Yeah! It's 2019! <laughs> it is. It, well, what, we're in the future. We it, This is the first episode of, uh, of 2019. Nice. Although we're not recording this at the stroke of midnight 2019. Right. In course. spirit, it's 2019. Gotcha. Which means we're kicking off season nine, number nine. Number oh nine. My God. I know it's crazy, huh? Very. You started this thing in 2011, Jay. Just you and me in a five-minute review of a Wool album that contained no music. Uh, part of me wants to listen, re-listen to those first episodes, and they're fast. M- most of me doesn't want to re-listen to those. <laughs> that uh, that laugh you're hearing is uh, returning champion Scott Hallgram, who. Uh, I'm I'm gonna get the feeling this will not be a five minute no music episode, uh, based on what we're reviewing. Happy New Year! Happy New go. Year! No, this is this this I've made part of your job easy here, Tim. This album I think is built for just for the bumpers, right? Like this could be a bumper filled episode. Like I think the album is just forty four minutes of bumpers. Bump it up. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Tell the folks what your previous episodes have been. Was it so? Let me see, let me try to see if I can remember all of these. Last year was Mr. Bungle. No, uh, no? I believe that was two. I believe that was two years ago. It was two years you, ago. You're kidding yeah. me. I know. I think it was. Well, I won. A, I won one in a drawing in the middle, and that was Jen Trinan. Oh, last year was Living Color Stain. Oh, okay. uh, and then there was a fr- there was one I won in a spin the wheel or pull out of the hat drawing that was Jen trying to me. So two years ago was uh, yeah, Mr. Bungle Disco Volante, and then I, uh, there, then you had a like a summer you know '90s bands release. I was on for Voivod there. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then I've also I've suggested others that I've not visited for. I've suggested. Jump Little Children's Magazine and the Stereos 300. I think that's the comprehensive list. Yeah. Okay. That's right because last year you were actually on, or sorry, 2017. You're on three times. So we right. we started the year with you and then we ended the year with you. Yeah. It was a beautiful shelf that year <laughs> with me as the bookends. That's right. Exactly. Those were some very interesting records. That we covered throughout that year with you. So tell everyone to kick off the 2019 season. What is your pick? Drumroll, drumroll, drumroll. The very popular, well-known Masters of Reality, Sunrise on the Supper Bus. I know you're joking when you say the very well-known, yeah. but I think amongst the community, this is probably more known than in a percentage than in the general mass audience. So I, I know from comments, both at Patreon and then also at Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, people were psyched to uh, check out this record. So when did you come across it? What's the circumstance? That's a good question because I have no idea. Like, I do not know why this is in my CD collection. I don't know what in, what was this, 92 or was it 93? One of those two years. What caused me to buy a record uh, with a rabbit riding a bicycle on the cover? With I don't, <laughs> I don't think any radio airplay. I don't think any MTV airplay. Like I have no idea. I mean, it totally fits though, right? Like Chris Goss, the the leader of this band, basically produced Blues for the Red Sun, which at the time I was a huge fan of. I mean, I still am, but uh, but that's contemporary contemporary i mean i didn't have to go backwards in time to get to that so so that fits but other than that i have no idea and yet this is i was a foreign exchange student in the summer of 93 and this is one of three cds that i took with me uh in the summer of 93 and i 
I have no recollection of ever getting it. That's funny because I own the first record, the self-titled, uh-huh. on cassette. Nice. And I don't know why I own it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think maybe it was just, maybe it was a bargain bin kind of thing where I thought the yeah. band was cool and went ahead and just gave it a shot. But other than yeah. that, I can't come to any, I don't know, I don't have any friends that listen to the band. I don't remember them like reading about them in a magazine i just know i own the cassette and that's about it so similar story. yeah yeah one one possibility another uh another random possibility is that i might have gotten them mixed up with circus of power and thought i was buying a circus of power because i saw the i saw them open for like monster yeah, magnet yeah. or something and i i i was like that's cool and then i think i might have gone because that's what we did in the '90s. We just yeah. like bought CDs. Yeah. Yep. I could. I could very well see myself that just thinking the band <laughs> is like in the right ballpark. <laughs> yeah. You know. So all right. Yeah. And, like. and here we are. Here we are. Twenty-five years later. Is it possible that you thought that this was some sort of Black Sabbath-related item? I doubt it because my Black Sabbath years came later, well, like five years later, and. I um and I did not I do not like this Black Sabbath I do not like the Black Sabbath album Master of Reality I okay. like their I like their I love their first two but I don't love I don't like Master of Reality Okay well then that was not it No because the artwork Sorry, doesn't look like Sabbath so no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no way to mess that up I had not listened to any of the Masters of Reality stuff until the whole palm desert scene sort of became a thing in the 2000s right. so i had i was not on the train back in the 90s and had not listened to any of that stuff so and and to be honest i had not listened to this record until this review so i'm coming into this completely clean no no yeah. re- no uh previous exposure versions no exactly Yes. yes. Nobody, nobody, nobody came by your house and randomly threw a CD or a cassette of this band <laughs> into your collection. No. While you slept. No. It would okay. be funny, if, Tim. You just are one day rummaging around your CDs and you find a copy of this record in there. You just never even know you own. <laughs> like, where, where did this come from? But funny story, I did have the MP3s on a on oh, my there you go. hard drive. There you go. <laughs> And no recollection of how they got there. I, I I I probably got them from the I Hate the '90s blog because they mm. would just throw up zip files of you know new '90s not new stuff but just new zip files of old '90s records every day, and I would just download everything that was on there, and I would just throw them onto my external what? hard drive without oh. listening to them. But regardless, you still. I have no idea when I got it. And... The record without yes. knowing, without intentionally buying it. Right. Well, I, I didn't buy it. This so is bizarre. I, I'm going to buy it because I, because as a part of the project for for Dig Me Out, I'm trying to get a copy of every record we review or talk about. So uh, that's that'll be part of the project. Is is getting actually a copy of this now that I've had the MP3 for ten years without knowing it. <laughs> So you mentioned Chris Goss. He is primarily the the only mainstay out, uh, a member of this band, right? He it has like like a rotating lineup for the rest of the yeah. band. Yeah, there's there's um, there's some there's some quote of his on Wikipedia uh, where he says, you know, um, I can't afford to have anybody. I can't I can't afford to pay anybody just to say they're in the band uh, or some, something like that. Um, True to true to how you know I I came across this band and they just them just kind of being this um, bunny riding a bicycle in black and white in my in my collection they've they've stayed that way for me all this time and I, I kind of allude to this uh, in the Patreon comments on the on on your Patreon and and I say like you know this I don't I don't think of this band immediately when I think of like my favorite pants and yet every time I see this, uh, this bunny riding a bicycle, I'm like, Oh, I have such positive feelings about that. And I, and I pop it in and, and keep it going. So the band is kind of, they've maintained this, uh, 
this distance from me, you know, the kind of mystery um, that, that bands used to be able to maintain back in like the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. Good point. Jay, do you have the Patreon page up? I do. Can you read? I know Scott Witt made a comment. Can you, uh, can you read Scott uh, Witt's comment? I can read Scott Witt's comment. I can't read all the Scott comments. Um, no, some wait. Scots will have, will have to speak for themselves. Um, Scott Witt said, I love this band and album. Their debut was great, and, and this was better. Odd they got Ginger Baker to play drums. Interesting. Of Cream fame. Legendary drummer mm-hmm. Ginger Baker. Great variety of songs on here. In retrospect, this is a very 70s record, but didn't realize it at the time. Having many songs like Madonna was a nice touch, too. Um, then there's a nice thread from Scott, um, yeah. which I think I'll let you ex- speak to yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, well, it just seems like every time I comment on Patreon, here comes in Scott Witt, and he's basically like, um, you know, I in back in high school and college, I, I had a circle of really close friends and everything he says always seems to fit in with things that that, that group would have said. And so, uh, so I immediately was, was drawn, drawn, I've been, I've been like, Oh, Scott would have been my buddy had we been geographically in the same place back in the day. So I, so I write a little love letter to Scott Witt and then I, I kind of, uh, I'm paraphrasing my comments on the Patreon page, and I, I say, you know, like, here's my angle on this review, and I've, I've kind of been leaning this way for the last five-ish minutes or so, and it's, you know, what worked for me and what didn't work for me. But beyond that, like, this album, I don't I don't think of this album as, as something that, um, I don't think of it conventionally. Um it's not something that uh, stands up to conventional analysis for me, and I'm and I'm actually interested to hear what what you guys say about it when you come at it from that perspective. But uh, for me, it's always been that kind of like just mysterious album that I that I put on, and I just kind of like I, I hear the sounds and I hear the grooves, and I just kind of float through it. And whether it's on shuffle or whether I'm listening from start to finish, it doesn't make any difference to me it's just this like it's like a vibe more than it is like a discreet kind of like here's song one and here's song 14 and there are these lyrics there are moments where things stick out like tusa is one that like pops up from that kind of foggy vibe thing but you know one thing in this country That's that's where I'm that's where I'm kind of going with that with that thread. And then I, uh, yeah. Then there's more. Then there's more love for Dig Me Out and more love for Scott Witt. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just a. It's really I'm really just having a love fest here for right, Masters of Reality, Masters of Reality, Dig Me Out, and Scott Witt in just a big group hug right there. Nice. If you want to read all those comments, folks, you can head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Dig Me Out and become a patron to get access to all of scott's yeah. comments you have to pay you have to pay to get this content <laughs> this yeah. is this premium is content right here we're gonna lock this post down to those that are at five dollars <laughs> and above only yeah we might create a separate tier <laughs> to read scott's posts just read scott's <laughs> posts but can can i at least let scott wait in for free yeah it'll, the scott's plural posts <laughs> Oh, I think we found our new business model, Tim. There you go. We're monetizing comments. That's the way to go. That's the future. People love to leave comments. Let's monetize it. Just a few more things on, on Chris Goss. You know, he's tied with into the Palm Desert team, but he's actually from Syracuse, New York. Runs uh, or has been a 
producer for Caius, Queens of the Stone Age, Uncle, Melissa Oftimore, uh, another number of other bands. You mentioned this lineup for this particular album is Ginger Baker of Cream on drums, Chris Goss on vocals, guitars, and keyboards, and then Googe, one name, is on bass and backing vocals. And this record came out on Chrysalis. So let's get into it. uh, Not a hot label in the 90s, Chrysalis. No. (laughs) They had Blondie in 1981, but... uh... Yeah. Yeah. And Vinnie Vincent Invasion, but after that, not so much. Both records or just the first one? Was All Systems Go on Both of them. They had both of them. I have one of those on cassette. Cassette. A little taste of Chrysalis in the 80s. I know where I got it from. Let's talk some Sunrise on the Suffer Bus. Jay, I'm going to start with you. Tell me one thing you liked about this record. Well, I'm going to take Scott's challenge here and shake up the format. Oh. Um, boom. Boom. There it is. Boom. 2019. <laughs> there it is. We're just taking Tim's format and throwing it out the window. It's a new year. I cannot listen to this record and separate it from uh, Josh Homey. Like I, uh, when I, the, what I like about it is... To me, a direct connection I'm making to what I see here in Caius and what I hear in Queens of the Stone Age and what I hear in how he sings. So I, uh, from a just an unconventional listen standpoint, uh, to me, it is a direct correlation to that tree um, from a sound. This sounds to me like how Josh Homie learned how to sing. Like he, he lis- listened and studied Chris Goss. And that's how he created his voice because uh, it's pretty much dead on, exactly the same local mm-hmm. style. And then even the format of the band for some of the material, not all of it, but for some of the material, when the band is heavier, it is a blues based with a slight uh, psychedelic, I guess, twist to it. It's not as heavy as Caius. It's not as heavy as Queen of the Stone Age in, in the guitar tone standpoint. But basically, the riffs and the rhythms are there. So it, what I like about it is the being able to see the lineage of a band that I like quite a bit in this band and, and truly seeing a direct correlation that then you can start to extend back to, you know, what what have you, Black Sabbath or, or whatever, you know, origin of that you want to, how far you, you want to take back. But this to me is like the prototype if you like Queens of the Stone Age, this is the prototype for what that band eventually arrived to. Um, so I, I I do like that part of it. Um, I think the other part that um, really stands out to me is the drums. Obviously, I mean, I um, I read the post, but for whatever reason, when I was listening to the record, I just didn't even think about Ginger Baker playing on it, um, which I think was a good thing. I just took it as whoever this band is. So the drums definitely stand out. There's a lot of really subtle shuffle kind of feels. There's some ritual fills. Um, it's maybe not as crazy and maybe adventurous as you would consider Ginger Baker's playing. Uh, it's actually at times very conventional. But there's um, definitely a feel and a tone here that's unique. It, it, it does not sound like typical 1993 drumming. Um, so I think that was the other part of it that really for me in terms of standing out but the, the i guess to summarize the majority of what i like here is the lineage of queens of the stone age that's interesting because i had the same sort of thoughts in terms of oh this is like you take this vocal and put it on mm-hmm. top of the heaviness of caius and you've got queens of the stone age or at least how they started out. Yep. So, and I don't, you know, I I remember from watching the documentary Desert Age last year that I, I remember them talking about in there that Josh was a very observant <laughs> youngster. Yep. And he clearly, you know, was trying to emulate other folks in the way that he performed. So it would make sense that 
you know, when you're trying to figure out how to sing and you have no, you know, if you don't have somebody like saying, well, this is how you do it, you're going to look to people who are successful and sort of teach yourself how to do it along with their voice. So when I hear like the first track, she got me like that totally sounds like rated R era or, or, um, songs for the deaf era, Josh Omi. does the full range like the Josh Omi well I guess it's the Chris Goss like low tone mm-hmm. and the falsetto like he does both yeah um one to one no I mean I guess I give him credit for not uh you know a lot of people um thought they need to be able to sing they need to sound like Robert Plant which for most folks ended up unfortunate um <laughs> at least he had you know different tastes and was able to kind of find an influencer you know, learn from somebody who was actually within the realm of what he was capable of. But boy, because when you hear Josh Homie kind of get get into his his own on the you know second and third uh, Queens album, where you know he's singing more, um, he's taking the bulk of the vocal, and he's really kind of finding his voice. He does have at you know a unique voice until you hear Chris Goss, and then you realize, oh shit, this is Chris Goss, <laughs> right? It's actually not that original. Well, and what's crazy is that Chris Goss actually does more when you think about a song like JB Witch Dance, where he does that like talk sing thing. Yeah. And he actually pulls it off. Like, yep. it's hard to do a talk sing vocal where he's like telling a story, but he's actually able to incorporate a little bit of singing into that. So, and and you would never hear, for example, a song like Rolling Green that really laid back approach to that song. I can't think yeah. of anything in, in Queens discography that matches that. Let's not get into that until we hear what uh, Scott liked about the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, just to, just to play off that for a minute, that open the opening chord for Rolling Green. I want to know if any other listeners hear the opening chord to Jane's addictions. Stop when they hear that very first chord, like and that, that, that chime, that kind of reverb. And I just, I expect to hear dogs barking in the next second, yeah. Yeah. but uh, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, no, it's, um, I hear you. I don't, when I listen to this, I, I don't hear um, Queens. I, I definitely don't hear Caius, uh, even though Chris Goss is obviously uh, very influential with those um, as much as you do. Though I, I see the connection. I think, um, you know, and, and I'm kind of playing with it in my head now, and I'm like, yeah, you know, Chris Goss, I think, had this very clear uh, vision of a kind of sound and aesthetic he wanted to to produce, and he and he produced it. Don't get me wrong, but I think, um, and then Josh Josh Ami came along and kind of had a little bit more kick, and he's like, yeah, that's great, I love that. Let's take that and add just a little more kick to it and see what we can do with that. And then you get, you get Queens of the Stone Age, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think with Josh Garcia singing in Caius, I think that's a, that's a big reason I, I don't associate those two that the same way. <clears throat> You're right. The vocal's definitely different, but the I guess I hear the bluesy dirge that Caius is based on, where obviously sometimes they're slowing that down and adding tons more fuzz, but like, yeah, the basic chord structures and ideas are similar to some of the material you hear here. To me, like, yep. uh, "Give Me Water" is a good example of you know, if you took the vocal out 
and dirged that up and maybe drop tuned it or you know fuzzed it out i think he could get very close um, yeah i can hear that i hadn't thought of it but uh yeah i definitely could hear that The person that some of this record, not all of it, obviously, but some of this record reminded me of was Brant Bjork uh, in in terms of a song like Rabbit One that like his when you talk about a vibe, Scott, and and like just a feeling that this record gives off that to me describes Brant Bjork like to a T. Like yeah. what he does is very simple, but he's able to just evoke this vibe that is very unique to him. And you can kind of hear why he didn't work in some of the bands that he played in because they were going for a, a different vibe than his sort of relaxed groove that he's doing on so much of his stuff. But a, a song like yeah. Rabbit One, Ants in the Kitchen, that song where it's really just driven around driven by um you know bass and drums yeah that was the that was the vibe i was getting from a lot of this record I'll, you know the vocal comparison the josh omi that you know stuck with me for a lot of it um not for the entire thing i mean like when i listen to you know the last track moon in your pocket that sounds very much like neil young there's a couple other spots, obviously, where it's it's not completely in in the Queen's era. It's just, I think it's more in like you know the opening track, and there's a couple other ones. I think VHV is another one where it's got that because it's because it's got that real heavy um, yeah dirge sound to it. Very vibe driven song. I mean, like yeah, uh, yeah. That's when I I look at the track listing and I'm like, that's an instrumental, and then you listen to it and you're like. Oh no 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 no! That's that song, you know. It's it's just yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, and she got she got me, which you mentioned. I mean, the, that's one where uh, you know Ginger Baker shines. I mean, it's like yes. I, I I love that. It's just like it's an announcement, and and, and it is incredible. They're like oh yeah, Ginger Baker was on this record, you know, WTF? Like, and it's just like at the at the beginning, it's like they're saying it's like they take the first thirty seconds to be like. Hey, look, we got Ginger Baker on this record. I just love that, you know. Like, it's, it's pretty crazy, also, when you consider the fact that, like, all the bands, all the people that we're talking about, like, Cream is a pretty big influence on this whole sound. Yeah. And, and he goes and gets Ginger. I don't know how he gets Ginger Baker, but he actually gets the guy who was is responsible for a lot of that sound, and and gets him to play on the record. Yeah, and, and I don't know either. I mean, I'm I've got my own fantasy world about how this works, you know. But like in my mind, Chris Goss is just this like uh, musician's musician who is very personable, like with musicians, and very effective with musicians, and you know, like is very diligent and works very hard and like gets things done. And so he becomes this reliable, personable person. Like, oh, but like in this musician world, like he. Uh, and I do not mean this as any kind of like, uh, you know, criticism, but like he doesn't have this like uh, star quality. You know, he's not like he doesn't shine out of the spotlight or whatever. I mean, maybe he could, but it's just I almost think he chooses not to. And so, like, in my mind, he's just like this, like he's like this Kevin Bacon of the like studio music world or something like that. You know, <laughs> like uh, he's like an Alan Johannes in that way or something. like. That. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. connected to uh, during the desert um episode we did uh his name 
kind of map back to a lot of different places. Oh, yeah. Especially when you consider he's part of the Desert Session stuff, which there's so many people involved in that, that, that just spider web just grows. Yep. So, yeah, so, so him and him and Mark Lanigan, you know, smoking some kind of weird plant in the desert is definitely a vision that, you know, comes to mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Jay, I'm curious. Yeah. What does not work for you on this record? Ooh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, I will stick to the, I'll, I'll hit the high points. Uh, Rolling Green, I hate. <laughs> I, I despise that. Um, it sounds like a song from a kid's show. Uh, I don't know how it fits on the record. I don't understand what it's doing here. Um, every time I hear it, I can hear like Peter Rabbit running around like singing it. Um, I don't like Jody Sings either. Um, I guess I don't get when this when this band tries to do things that are lighter it just comes off as either like soft rock contemporary adult contemporary or at best like jam band stuff. Um, so I'm much happier when they just stick with the blues format and then, and then riff off of that, make trying to make it a little bit more um, alternative or interesting. And I'm not a fan when they go into, I guess what they're trying to do maybe is like more of a Beatles direction, but it just comes across as like vanilla, um, not compelling adult contemporary safe music. Um, so, you know, there's not, so I would say those two and the other one would be, um, the moon in your pocket, which sounds like a bad Willie Nelson song. There's just a couple. There's a, a couple turns here, left turns here that just do not work for me at all. you at him um i didn't i did not have as big a problem with you or, or as you as with those songs it's funny when i first heard rolling green i thought you were saying bowling green i'm like wait what is he saying um <laughs> but, uh, that, that's well that makes me even hate it more because now i think of like bands like oar and like college bands that like just create very like it's it's got that vaguely reggae kind of feel to it that just irritates the shit out of me. <laughs> now that so. you say OAR, that actually makes me mad. <laughs> well, let's just well, everybody's angry now. Good job. We just that's that's my new trick to make people around me angry. Um, just to mention OAR. No, I mean like a song like TUSA. Like I need to hear that once, and then I don't ever need to hear it again. You know what I mean? Like it's funny to hear Ginger Breaker complaining about tea, and then but, but but could you listen to that guitar riff more than once? I mean, fair enough. The lyrics are just this kind of like clever, like okay, I get it. But that like the guitar riff that they go into in between the verses is I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, the music's cool. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the music. It's just um, it, yeah. It's I don't goofy. and that to me like it's goofy but that's a fine that's okay as an album track to me that like feels like a quirky little spot that would be fine um I, I'm not as bothered by that kind of thing at least it's creative and weird not repul- <laughs> repulsive <laughs> wow use the word repulsive <laughs> Oh my god! I just I just turn on Rolling Green and I hear those opening chords and I like want to break my computer. It doesn't remind them of OAR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ay ay ay! <laughs> hey, Scott wanted a different kind of review for this. He didn't want the same. Thing, so I'm trying to deliver. Okay, 
You pay for this, goddammit. I know it. I'm, I'm, number, I'm donor number one. I wanted my donor number one review. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, it's, it's, this is great. I, I love this. I love, you know, this is one that, um, this is an album that I, I came to early on and I don't have any problems. I mean, my notes on Jody Sings are like, I love, I love that melody. It's so sweet. I don't know if he's going into a falsetto or if he's just hitting the high notes there, but I love it. Yeah, the moon in your pocket, I find a, a nice palate cleanser for the album. Um, yeah, Rolling Green. I, I, I do, um, I do bristle a little bit after I could listen to TUSA more than once, but more than three times is like, yeah, okay, now I got it. But the, you know, the music is, is, is incredible. I mean, uh, this is one that I, I listen to from start to finish. I, I, I don't have any problems anywhere. If, if I have a weakness here, it's because it is what it is. Like, I think they, I think Chris and the rest of the band came at it with like, this is what we have and we like it all and we're just going to put it here. We're not necessarily going to craft it into what your 1993 definition of an album is with, you know, ebbs and flows in the right places. And, you know, we're not, you know, in this, in 1993, people were still thinking about what was the end of side A and what was the beginning of side B. And I, I, I think they just shoot all of that and, and we're just like, yeah, this is what we got and this is what you're going to get. And so, if there's any weakness I have, it's like, oh, maybe if they'd, if they'd focus, maybe they could have had a, a Caius record, or, you know, songs from the deaf or something that like, kind of takes you on a yeah. journey from start to finish. Whereas this is just more of a vibe. Yeah, I don't. Was this released on vinyl? Ooh, good question. I would. Ass- I'm, I'm guessing it probably was. It actually wasn't. So I just looked over at Discogs. This was not released on vinyl when it came out. Mm. It was only CD and cassette. It came out unofficially on vinyl in 2015, but it it was. Uh, you can't buy it off off Discogs because you can't buy uh, unofficial releases. So, so here's the thing. They didn't think of it in terms of side A and side B. Does that change your opinion on that, Scott? Well, they, I mean, somebody had to cut the cassette into sides. Uh, <laughs> but I, it doesn't, I, I feel like, True. no, it doesn't, it doesn't change my opinion. There, I think going into 96 and 97, you can still see CDs where you're like, okay, this band clearly was still thinking about what their side one and side two was, even though they knew, you know, 90% of their listeners were going to listen to it on CD. But I think this is one where they thought, even though, you know, 40% or whatever of our listeners are going to listen to this on cassette, we're mostly thinking about this as just a through piece, you know? Interesting. Interesting. I'm I'm actually shocked that this hasn't been officially released on vinyl. This seems like yeah. it would be prime music for that. Well, it'd have to be white vinyl too, right? Yeah, that'd be perfect. I mean, let's yeah. let's make that happen. Let's be clear. Yeah. Or, ro- or rolling green. <laughs> have okay. When you say it like that, now I hate the song because, <laughs> just because you said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that would they would actually press marijuana leaves right into the vinyl <laughs> in honor of that song. <laughs> get get your weed certified vinyl records. Um. So here's actually another interesting note about this record. She got me when she got her dress on. That made it to number eight on the U.S. rock chart. Yeah, I read that. I don't. What the hell are they talking about? I don't remember ever hearing this. So it's fake news. Someone put it on Wikipedia. <laughs> it's got to be true. <laughs> okay, so it's not CNN. All right, no, well, that is probably real. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what the rock chart number eight. That's the that's the chart in Billboard magazine that ranks the most played on mainstream rock radio stations. 
but it didn't make it it didn't chart in the billboard hot 100 yeah so maybe going back to maybe going back to like what i said early on like how i got this with no radio airplay i mean maybe it did maybe that's why i got it maybe i loved listening to this on the radio i have no idea i was a child i was a little boy (laughs) (laughs) who let you buy records then (laughs) how did you get out of the the third degree (laughs) yeah Um, i don't know because you know this is so far ahead of just that song i totally understand why that would be a song that they would push for radio Mm -hmm. um it's got a it's got a hook it's got energy. It it makes sense, um, but it's hard to imagine, you know, like this band on MTV. I guess I don't I don't know if they made a video for that. You know, Ginger Baker is your drummer, and Chris Goss is a a big dude. You know, he's on the on the tad end of things. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, this is not. I mean, it's it's certainly well in the 1993. I mean, this is the peak of grunge, right? Right. So this is not going to play, right? Like they again. They're, why did I buy a record with a rabbit on a bicycle on it? Like I have no idea. Yep. There was there was a little bit of like an effort to keep alive and, and some activity around like blues rock. So if you remember, I mean, Archangels made a little bit of a. You know, a blip in 92. You had the Black Crows, you know, kind of floating around. There were some bands like 1% or 2% that were, you know, still in the mainstream rock thing that were, if you were blues-based, you were kind of allowed to, like, stick around. (laughs) Like, you were given some space, uh, maybe a sense of credibility. So maybe that's how it creeped in as like a part of that kind of thing. Cause I, I could very much hear like that song, you know, it's in the ballpark of what Archangels were doing at the time. And they got a little bit of a little buzz when that record came out in 92. So this is only a year later. Sure. So it's not hard to imagine that, you know, whatever, whatever they were getting, whatever sizzle they were creating there with that, whatever record labels were thinking they could do with that band. You could see how that could rub off on, on a song like that. Let's try, even though this was a unusual, I guess kind of still, still kind of fell into the normal pattern, but try to wrap this up with a worthy album, better EP or decent single. Jason. Timothy. Let's, let's do it? this. What is your pick? Oh, I'm in an EP. Um, I like JP's JP Witch Dance. I like Ants in the Kitchen. I do like TUSA. I thought it was kind of fun um, and a little bit charming. Tilt a Whirl. I like Rabbit One. I like. And that's pretty much it. So I'm at what four or five songs that I, that I that I think are are worthy. Um, Coming into this, I got to be honest. I was I was close to saying a, a single. Um, yeah, but I think that's a little too harsh. I'm willing to give it an EP. It's harsh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. Uh, anything I like about it is because I like Queens of the Stone Age. I, I just don't know what to make of that. You know what I mean? I wonder. I wonder. And, and not to challenge your rating, but I wonder if you would feel differently about it if you'd heard this before Queens of the Stone Age. Um, I don't know, because I definitely heard the first record. Cause I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't listen to it a whole lot, because, um, I don't know, it just didn't connect. Maybe, if the, you know, it's also a little weird in that um, um, it's, it's riff-based, but the guitars aren't very, like, heavy or... Mm-hmm. powerful which yeah. is confusing to me <laughs> so that's probably why the first record didn't really like really go over with me it's probably just that like it's more maybe drum vocal focused and the guitar riffs are not uh dominant in the in the overall band even though they're kind of the basis of the song hmm. well i'm 
I'm at a worthy album. Uh, I'm at... No, I really only kind of didn't care for maybe three songs, which were would be... Um, or, or I don't need to hear them again, I should say, which would be um, T-U-S-A. And Rolling Green. Yeah, I didn't really... Yeah, you kind of beat that one out of me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nobody will ever be able to listen to that song again. <laughs> so, I mean, 10 or 11 songs, it's still a very strong record. So... Yeah, that's where I'm at. Worthy album. Scott, clearly. Yeah. I say worthy record. I haven't I haven't so one of these days I'll uh one of these days I'll I'll suggest something that I um am less in love with. But no, this is a this is a worthy record for me. Um to get back to and I don't wanna jump off of Jay's point about the guitar in there, it's guitar based but the guitar's not heavy. I think that might be part of why I dig it so much because it's a little bit of like a it's like a very different flavor for me. And and when I want that flavor, I don't know if there's anything else in my collection that I go to. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's Sunrise on the Suffer Bus. And that, this is a Sunrise on the Suffer Bus hour I'm feeling here. I want this, you know, and I, I put it on the list from start to finish. And I'm like, you know, like that was exactly what I needed for right then. Um, I, I wouldn't cut it. I don't have any problems with, with anything. Yeah. Nope. All right. Makes sense. I respect that. Yeah. Even though you like rolling green. <laughs> Not anymore. No, it's all over. I would cut I would cut rolling green. Thanks. My life my life is now measurably worse than it was forty five minutes ago. <laughs> because I have one less song I enjoy. Jay, what have you done? <laughs> what what have you done? And somehow I am a little bit happier. <laughs> What Jay has done is steal some of your happiness. And my money. Oh, man. Yeah, next time you need to pay for a year's worth of Patreon and then pick a record you don't like. Yeah, that's that'll then I'll get I'll be get more happy. Get some happiness back. I'll pick one of your favorites that I hate. Oh, okay. oh. Stay away from Circus Power. <laughs> I thought that's who we were reviewing. Mm-hmm. Oh wait. <laughs> I hope this was a pleasurable experience, even though you're coming away a little sadder. I hope that yeah. uh you will continue to share your thoughts with us over at Patreon whenever you feel the need to. Yeah, absolutely. I love uh I love entertaining the masses. Excellent. Yeah, hopefully if you see a big spike in your subscriptions uh to Patreon in the next few days. You let me know. Every Saturday, Sunday morning, I'm going to wake up excited to see if I have a notification <laughs> on Patreon that Scott's made a comment. <laughs> all right. And the next time the next time we're on the same city with Scott Witt, we're all going to have a big old group hug. Yeah. He's down in uh, Houston, I think. You guys okay. got to get down here in Texas. We're, we'll meet in the middle. We'll nah, meet in LaGrange. I'm good. I'm good. We'll meet in LaGrange. <laughs> Can we meet in um, where's where's Black's Barbecue? What's that place called? Lockhart. Lockhart. Yes, 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 Lockhart. There you go. But, uh, but Lagrange is the midpoint between Houston and Austin. You know, ZZ Top wrote a song about it, and right. we could you know go explore what that's all about. It's actually a little shithole, but <laughs> I like it. There's there's literally nothing there. You're like, oh, this is Lagrange. You're driving through. You're like, what in the world? Whatever. I don't want to know. Now, all of your listeners from Lagrange have left your Patreon. Way to go, Jay! You just um, blew our Lagrange money. <laughs> all that Lagrange that, cash. Good, good time. Yeah, this is this has been this has been good. We can we can shoot the shit anytime. Excellent. Do you have anything you'd like to plug before we go? I got a I got a new Twitter. I brought back an old uh, I got brought back an old blog uh, under the form of a Twitter account because I I got kids so I couldn't keep up with the blog. So the Twitter is uh, Miss Piggy Lunchbox, but due to uh, due to character constraints, the Miss is spelled M S, so it's like Miss Piggy Lunchbox. 
Oh, okay. Yep. No, I followed y'all. I was like, what is this? Go- what's going on here? Is this a Russian farm? <laughs> here? That's also, yes, I'm also trying to subvert your democracy. Okay. Excellent. I want to remind folks, patreon.com forward slash dig me out. That's where you go to read comments, to leave comments, to get bonus content, which we will have in 2018, or excuse me, which we will have in 2019, and as well as vote in polls, and be eligible for giveaways like the stuff we just did at the end of 2018. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Only positive, negative feedback hurts our feelings. Please don't do that. So, Scott, once again, thank you for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure. We should promote your... uh, We use one of your products, don't we, Jay? We do. Our site is run off of... uh... The product that uh, Scott works on. Zapier makes you happier. Yeah. It does. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. I saw naked witches dancing in the moonlight. I couldn't just say no. You see, I got